Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman here with Jennifer White. Hi, Jen. Hello. Hey. Um, total basic question for you. Okay, I'm in. Because mm-hmm. I'm feeling really boring today. Um, it, it's pumpkin spice season. Um, how is the weather where you are? Because most people don't realize we're in different places. They just mm-hmm. assume that I'm like sitting next to you. It's beautiful. <laughs> the leaves what? are beautiful. There's this one street I drive down when I take my daughter to school and like one side, the trees are all red and the other side, the trees are all yellow and they kind of overlap and it is gorgeous. And some of the trees kind of do this thing where they fade from red to yellow to orange and it's like crisp. It's not hot. It's not freezing. I mean, it's a little bit chilly. Um, It's amazing. Uh, Although... The squirrels are my mortal enemy and we did some pumpkins and every year we try to poison them. We like try to spray stuff on them, but they, they just eat them. Aww. How's the weather there? Not in uh, Denver, Colorado. I am not. I'm in Connecticut. So I get the typical New England leaf peeping season. Uh, it's actually very similar to what you described, but we're in a very yellow season right now. So we're early in the leaves, hmm. uh, some reds, but yeah. I actually, I, maybe I'll post this in the Facebook group to encourage people to join the Facebook group. Uh, I took a picture out of my bedroom window. Like my backyard is like that quintessential, like the tree that is orange with the carpet of leaves. It was really very, very pretty uh, this wow. morning. Um, can I complain about my trees? Maybe a listener will have like some horticultural advice for, for me. But yes. our, we have two Bradley pear trees in front of our house and they definitely have the ability to turn beautiful colors. And sometimes they do it, but they're always late. Like every other tree will turn their color, you know, they'll drop their leaves and it'll just be our trees. They're like, hey, yo, look what's happening. Like, come on, it's your turn. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's us, but maybe Oh, wow. so your me. trees refuse to turn is what you're saying. I mean, it kind of felt like it was us that we've done something. It's personal. Wrong. Like, a, like a, yeah. you know, that we should be yeah. doing something like talking to them, encouraging them. I don't know. I mean, I will say that unfortunately leaf season is beautiful, but then it turns into rake season, which is Mm. exhausting and does not end here in New England, like Mm. forever and ever and ever. Um, So, but that's, that's the the negative after the positive right now. We're enjoying the positive. Yes. The positive. So when you're not raking, you can read a book and about egg donation and yes. listen. Oh, actually, you could listen to the podcast while raking. Um, <gasps> that's fun. Just not like a motorized thing you can hear, right? Uh, right? So we have this great author of Let's Talk About Egg Donation and the founder of Parents Via Egg Donation. And this is part one of the podcast because her stories were so good that we had to break it up. Welcome, Marna Gatlin, to the podcast. Marna, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, Marna, let's start by having you introduce yourself. Uh, who are you? Where are you? What do you do? Do, do you enjoy long walks on the beach? <laughs> <laughs> um, my name's Marna Gatlin. I live in Portland, Oregon. I am the uh, founder and CEO of Parents Via Egg Donation. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization that was... Um, Founded and created in January of 2008. Um, I am a mom via egg donation. I have a son who is going to be, oh, wow, 22. Wow, that's a lifetime for me, a generation. So he's going to be 22. (laughs) He's a junior. Um, I was going to ask because in the book, you, well, we're going to get to that. So we yeah. you wrote a book, right? We'll get to that. But you interview him and he's much younger in the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a junior um, at PSU, history major. Um, yeah. And uh, what do I do? So um, I don't look at PVET as a job. I look at it as a vocation. It's just something that inside I knew I, I needed to do um, when I was embarking upon this journey with my husband, and um, 
this organization is very busy. We help probably, oh gosh, over 10,000 parents and intended parents a year wow. in some form or another. Um, and our services, 85% uh, of them are, are free. Uh, we don't charge um, for our services. Um, we have a really great uh, kind of sort of volunteer network, mentorship network. We match people with people that have either are going through the process or have gone through the process. So there's, you know, peer-to-peer -peer support. We like to say help is, you know, one click away from a keyboard. Um, but when COVID hit, um, clinics and agencies took a big hit. And because uh, we rely on uh, sponsorships, partnerships, uh, oh. et cetera, et cetera, I don't even like to use the word market, but you know, people weren't having babies then because of COVID. And so all of our support kind of went away except for um, a few standbys. And so we scaled way, 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 way down. And I had to go uh, back to work uh, and punch a clock uh, in an wow. 85 <laughs> shop. Oh, I hated it. Um, I mean, I've got, I got a great job. I mean, I love what I'm doing right now, but, um, I had to, are your coworkers had, listening? <laughs> no, they will be, no, they will be. But, um, um, I've, I've had a couple jobs, uh, since, um, 2020 to kind of find out something that I really wanted to do and, and would love to do, um, because for insurance purposes, et cetera, et cetera. And so I work, during yeah. the day uh, for the city of Portland and they've got a really nice. great uh, program called 311. So um, that's a program that's um, it's national. Uh, I think the yeah. United Way uh, created it, but basically um, you can call and ask all kinds of questions. I get to Google for a living. I get to, I do. <laughs> that's funny. I get, I get to troubleshoot, help people find stuff um, and answer questions. And so um you know, it's kind of just right up my alley of, of helping. So nice. uh, that's what I do during the day. And PVED is after hours and on the weekends and um, when I'm on vacation. So, I mean, it's <laughs> good. It's a big chaotic. It's a big and chaotic when I'm on thing. vacation, isn't that yeah. our lives, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, I don't think we ever really go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about what led to founding PVED. Do you want to share your story and where, sure. where you like to start with that? Sure. Um, so I've always wanted to be a mom. I mean, from the time I was a kid, um, yeah. I always knew I was going to have four kids. I was going to have two, two boys, two girls. Yeah. I was going to have them. I mean, I knew so much that I was going to have children. I knew I was going to have them even before I knew how kids were made. I knew that I was going to have them one in each season, winter, spring, summer, and fall. I was going to have a boy first. I was going to have two girls in the middle and I was going to have a boy at the end. Those were going to be my bookends and that's how it was going to be. And I even had their names picked out. I mean, everything. So, um, that's not how the story went. That's not how my life went. Yeah. Um, and I didn't. And I ended up uh, miscarrying after miscarrying after miscarrying mm. um, nine different times. Wow. Uh, and by the time, um, and I'd gone through, sadly, uh, a marriage um, that disintegrated um, for a myriad yeah, and of reasons. Did we mention, say, I, sorry, did we mention um, your book yet? Because <laughs> I can refer, refer to it again. So let's just put out there. So you also wrote this book, Let's Talk About Egg Donation. Yeah. And I know um, you were very open in that in your book about how hard infertility is on a relationship. It is. And I mean, that's what I was going to ask is how much of that was attributable to Ton, the- Lots. Yeah. Lots. You know, we, we just wanted a baby, you know? He had kids. Uh, we wanted some together. Um, and so it didn't happen. So we went our, our separate ways and I met Manny um, and, you know, we got married and I said, you know, through this whole courtship, I said, I'm, I'm kind of broken. I can't really have kids. And mm -hmm. he said, you're not broken. And I said, I, I, I can't give oh. you a baby. I can't give you a baby. And so anyway, um, 
we uh, we were kicking around talking about what we wanted to do. We there, we had so many ideas. We thought about fostering. We thought about adoption. We thought about going to China. Um, that was, you know, really a big thing in uh, 1996, 1997, 1998. Everybody was going to China to um, adopt a baby. And so we got on every list and we found out the costs and how long it would take. And yeah. I mean, we got on every adoption list. And wow. so I was, I had met um, a woman in uh, online who was from Colorado and she'd had a baby Colorado that's right yeah (laughs) yeah. she'd had a baby in um Colorado and um through uh Colorado Center for Reproductive Medicine and uh her doctor uh was Dr. John Hesla and so um she told me all about him and she told me about she said this is crazy I I want you to have an open mind about this and don't think I'm you know this is weird. And I'm like, okay. And so she talked about egg donation and she talked about how it happened. And she talked about the fact that you borrow genetics from one woman and you use them in your own life with your partner or a sperm donor. And um, I was simply blown out of the water. Well, my husband's Italian and he's from Italy and he's an engineer and he's very logical minded. So I I sat down with him and I said, hey, you know, I think we might be able to have a baby and um, pull this off. And he's like, what do you mean? So I shared with him the information that uh, my friend had shared with me. And he said, let's learn more. Let's let's nice. find out. Yeah. So we did some research and found out at that time there were no clinics that were doing this except in Seattle. And it was down at Swedish. So we were all ready to go down to Swedish when the internet was just starting to to bubble. And, mm-hmm. you know, the term hive mind didn't exist, but there was a teeny little hive mind out there. And the whispers were that the Portland Center for Reproductive Medicine, which is now known as um, uh, ORM, Organ mm-hmm. Reproductive Medicine, was starting a egg donation program. Yeah. So my 36th birthday was getting ready to roll around. I was newly married, feeling very old because all of my peers, their kids were 10, 12 years old, you know? And well, and also the conventional wisdom tells you that at 35, you're an old maid as far as baby making is concerned. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Advanced maternal age. Right. You know how that goes. The geriatric. Geriatric. Oh, yeah. So, um, and pregnancy after pregnancy, I had gained 10 or 15 pounds per pregnancy Mm. and um, I was obese and doctors immediately would look at me and say, you know, lose 75 or hundred pounds and come back and talk to me. And, um, you know, I would nod at them dutifully and give them my one finger salute and walk out the door. (laughs) I did. So anyway, long story short, I gave uh, ORM a call. And I'll use ORM because that's what they yeah, are now. Right, right. Yeah. So I was going to see, wanted to see Dr. Materi. He was the founder. And they said, you know, Dr. Materi has a six-month wait list. And I could really yeah. feel in my head the tick, tick, tick of time. And I said, well, you know, um, what do I do? And they said, well, we have a new guy. And in my head, I was thinking, nobody wants to see the new guy. Nobody does, you know, nobody does. So anyway, I said, well, I mean, worst case scenario, I'd be just talking to another doctor. And I said, "Um, okay, I'll take the new guy. I go, who is he? And I remember the receptionist name was Carrie. It's weird how you remember names. Uh huh. And she said, oh, she says the new guy is, uh, his name is Dr. John Hesla. And it was a completely record scratch moment. And I think I squealed and I said, wait, what? I said, I'll take it. <laughs> e. John Hesla from Colorado Center for Reproductive Medicine. And she said, yeah, yes. Um, is there something like we should know? And I said, uh, he's an upcoming rock star in reproductive medicine. And uh, I had called to make an appointment with him, but they said he was gone. 
And, you know, they don't, no one used the word HIPAA back then, but they basically said where he went is none of your beeswax. So, cause they weren't going to tell me where he went. I mean, like you so called anyway, CCRM in Colorado to. I had called CC. Yeah. I'd called CCRM wow. in Colorado, like a month and a half or two months before. So funny. Wow. Just to get on a, a wait list of having just a consultation. And they're like, Oh, he's not here anymore. Wow. And you and, were, you were thinking you were going to travel to Colorado to see him. I didn't know what I was going to do because wow. I'd never <laughs> thought about traveling yeah. anywhere. Right. I mean, the idea of going down to Swedish hospital in Seattle or up three hours away was daunting, but to fly in an airplane yeah. to go up, right. I mean, good Lord. So anyway, long story short, they said, yeah. And I said, well, how long do I have to wait for him? And she said, well, I have an appointment next week. And I said, really i was not expecting that i said okay i said what yeah. day and they said may 9th and i said may, may 9th and she said yeah is that a problem and i said well no that that that's my 36th birthday she said well happy birthday to you Aww. so anyway i got everything uh together appointment made rushed out, told my husband, oh my God, oh my God, we've got this appointment. Uh, it's an omen, you know, all the things. And he looked at me and he said, we're just going to go to the appointment. I said, okay. <laughs> so we show up at the appointment and I am loaded for bear. I'm defensive. My barriers are up. Here is this lovely, lovely man who was probably, oh, I don't even know how old uh, Dr. Hessler was just a beautiful guy. I mean, mm. beautiful eyes, uh, <laughs> very handsome, reminded me of Mr. Rogers, kind of like a Norwegian Mr. Rogers, uh, very um, soft-spoken with an easy, easy laugh, a kind eyes, and really smart. And he had my records there. And um, I was a jerk. <laughs> I just said, oh, no, no. you're I so was. lovely. No way. I, right. No, I was. I sat down and I said, and he might recall this a little differently, but I know what I said because he's so kind. I said, um, you know, as you know, I've been to many doctors and uh, I don't want to waste your time, but I don't want you wasting my time either. So if you can't help me get pregnant or, and I actually think I said, if you can't put a baby in me, you need to tell me right now because I need to go raise cats, dogs, horses, or I need to mother something. I just don't want to waste time. I'm 36. And, and our podcast was born in that moment. Uh, he, he, he looked at me. I remember he looked at me and he kind of leaned um, into his desk and he smiled. This he, He's got an amazing smile, big white teeth. And he said, you know what, Marna? He says, I, I understand. He said, we can get you pregnant. It's keeping you that way. That's going to be the challenge. And we were off to the races. Wow. So I got pregnant on my very first DE cycle. I had a very low beta. And DE for those that donor like, egg. Know, donor yeah. egg. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a frightful pregnancy that had nothing to do with the talent of ORM or um, eggs or anything. It was just my uterus, my body. And I bled through my whole pregnancy. Um, oh. I, I, I had bed rest. I mean, I, I did all the things I saw doctors all the time, but I ended up delivering at 39 and a half weeks, um, to this amazing, beautiful little boy, um, on the first day mm. of winter of 2000. So lovely. Yeah. Ew so much about that that i'd love to dig in a little bit more mm -hmm. um what what did you know about the donor did you have any choices so <clears throat> as you know back in the day we call it kicking it old school um, <laughs> the whole industry and medicine was very paternalistic um, especially ob stuff reproductive endocrinology and nobody really, I don't think, understood the importance of knowing about that genetic connection for your child um, in regards to how it affects donor-conceived individuals. Um, and so many clinics didn't have agencies 
uh, they had small donor pools and they would select for you. So in this case, um, you literally had to go into the office and look at a big book and select a donor. There were no pictures, ladies, no pictures, wow. none whatsoever. You had, for lack of a better word, a dossier, a profile, and ours was 16 pages, and it had the year she was born. It had how her, all her um, vital record stuff, like how tall she is, uh, what color her eyes, what color her hair, did she have curly hair, did she have this, did she have this, her social habits, the books she liked to read, um, where she went to school, um, what she studied. Um, her reproductive history, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I am like a Euro mutt. I also am registered with an, an Indian tribe in um, Squim, Washington. And so that, that piece was really important to me, um, the indigenous piece. <clears throat> and my husband's Italian. And so when I was thinking about in my mind's eye, um, what would be a, a, a great match for, for me, since mm -hmm. I was the one giving up my genetics, um, I was kind of hoping somebody who looked maybe um, a little indigenous, yeah. uh, maybe dark hair, dark eyes, um, and maybe some Italian thrown in, maybe some English from my mom's side or German from my dad's side. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. It's hard to determine that without a photo, too. Right. So, I email was just starting, and I emailed Dr. Hessler one night, and I said, "Hey, we're having a hard time um, selecting an egg donor. I mean, and we, I think we had looked at every profile they had to offer. And I said, "Can you help us select?" And he said, "Yeah." He's really good at it too. I mean, really good. So he presented us this donor and said, we really like her. She's kind. She's lovely. Um, she's smart. He said, but she has curly hair and blue eyes. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I have paid JC Penney's like 50 bucks every quarter to have my hair permed. <laughs> And I've worn blue contacts a lot. Um, I can do that. Um, and But is she tall? Because I'm short. And I hate being short. And I said, if I've got to exchange my um, genetics, can I have a tall girl? Because my husband's tall. And he said, let me look. And he says, oh, she's 5'9". And I said, let's do it. So we did. And she was our very first. She was. It was her very first time donating. And... Um, so we, we did our cycle, shots, pills, acupuncture, all this stuff. And me being me, uh, I don't like impersonal things. So I said to the clinic, hey, I want to write her a letter. Um, will you send it to her? And they said, well, we have to read the letter first. Okay. So we ended up sending what I call jailhouse letters back and forth. <laughs> that they would read the letter and they would take the black marker and they wow. would um, Wait, really? black out, uh, yeah, they would oh. black out everything they didn't want us to read that they thought was not appropriate or what too revealing. They, do you I know, know what they blacked well, out? I was going to say, but I thought at some point, like, don't you get to make the grown-up decisions about what you disclose in your life? Not, no, not, that, not when you're selecting a donor wow. that's anonymous. No, 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 you no. don't. So we exchanged letters back and forth, um, and then she had her... Um, her retrieval and you know we're supposed to keep the gift under fifty dollars um i never follow those rules i i gave her this huge big ridiculous basket that was over the top and the clinic was like are you kidding me and i'm like no and you're gonna give it to her and they're like okay okay mrs <laughs> so they gave it to her and um she stayed in contact um up when she found out i was pregnant um, and then that was letter, it. Basically. There was no more. There, there was absolutely no more. I was pregnant. I had Nick. Um, she went on with her life. Um, I, for the first year, kept thinking that someone was going to call me and say, 
um, yeah, Mrs. Gatlin, we gave you the wrong baby. We have to like switch around or something. I mean, I was such in a weird headspace because I'd had so many failures. I just couldn't believe that I had this perfect kid. And, um, I just kept looking at him every day. And when he became about, he was born bald. So when he, about six months old, I swear to God, it was like overnight, I woke up and he was a towhead with curly, curly, curly blonde hair, a very tall kid with blue eyes. And I thought, oh my God, I've got a cherub. And I remember thinking, Aww. thank you universe. Yeah. So uh, that's how he came into being. We, we never knew who she was until later. Um, and Nick has always known his story, never hid his story from him. I was going to hide my story from him. Um, and, um, I met Carol in the process and I very bravely said in our little email group, I'm not telling my kid anything. It's not important. It's just a couple of cells. I did all the work and I am just going to sweep it under the rug and he doesn't need to know the difference. And Carol said, Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> and here's why. And so she shared with me about her story and about her kids and how she had her children and that their genetics do matter to them. And so that whole pregnancy, she really mentored me about why it was important to be open and honest with your children. And, and talking to Manny, um, you know, he said, yeah this is really important. And, you know, I'm going to support you all the way, but our, our kids got to know the truth. We can't do this to him. So I did an about face. I did 180 in nine months. Wow. And during that nine months, I practiced telling him my story. Wow. Like every day I would talk to my belly and I would say, you know, mommy's eggs are broken. They are bad and they're trashed and we needed some help and we wanted a baby so much. Um, you know, we got magic eggs from Dr. Hesla and this great egg donor and we picked you out of the bunch and, you know, here you are and we love you. And that story kept being added to and, and manifested into something really positive and beautiful. And so by the time he was two or three years old, he knew his story and he was able to put those pieces together and it's something he's always known it's not something he's looked back on um, and said oh yeah my mom sat me down on the 4th of July and said son we got something to tell you that's not how it went I mean it's something he's always always known and um, you know he's going to be 22 years old and you know I check in with him about this maybe about once a year now and he's over the egg thing I mean, he'll tell you, I'm really over <laughs> the egg thing. <laughs> Was there a time where he wasn't over it? No, no. You know, I, I, um, he, he came to me when he was like nine and he said, can I talk to you about our egg donor? I said, yeah. He says, I kind of want to know, I want to know about her. And I said, what do you want to know? And so I got out the profile and we did have two, she ended up through the clinic. I mean, it was, it was like asking for FBI secret clearance. They sent me two <laughs> pictures of her, one when she was an infant and one when she was like five, six. I said, well, this is what we have. And he was kind of like, hmm. And, you know, we didn't know her name. Um, we did get, this is a weird thing. We did get a, a piece of stationery with a jailhouse letter and of all the things they forgot to um, leave off was her monogram at the top. Oh. <clears throat> her initial. Uh-huh. For detectives, so, there's a clue. Yeah, so, so Nick had um, the J. It was a J. And he called her everything. He called her Jessica. He, he called her Jasmine. He called her Jennifer. He called her Jezebel for like a half a year. I was like, I don't think that's a nice thing. And he says, <laughs> why? I like the way it sounds. Um. And then uh, for a long time, he called her Nell. And I said, why are you calling her Nell when her initials J? And he said, Nell means nice egg lady. I said, oh, okay. All right. You, you go on you. If you want to, he wants to be Nell, he can be Nell. So anyway, um, one day we had a big discussion um, in our forum and the moms were uh, extraordinarily nervous about talking to their kids about egg donation. 
and a lot of them didn't want to tell. So I said to Nick, can I pick your brain about all of this? And he said, what's going on? And I said, well, you know, these moms are really nervous about telling their kids that they used an egg donor and that they were born from egg donation. And do you have any advice for these moms? And he says, well, what are they worried about? And I said, they're worried about their kids are going to be really mad and, and pissed off at them. And he looked at me and he goes, mom, I have so many other things to be pissed off at you about other than egg donation. <laughs> nice, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, okay, can we, can we sit down and wrap here and have a conversation? And he said, yeah. I said, what are you mad about? And I'm thinking, I have got out of my way to make this life revolve around this child. What, what could you possibly be mad about? Well, it turns out he was mad about the fact that I made him go to bed at eight o'clock at night oh, and I made yeah, him wear a helmet yeah. on a scooter oh, and right, wow. I monitored his video game time. Oh my God. All those things are good parenting, right? All <laughs> the good parenting things. Uh, oh, we went through a phase where I didn't want him to have high fructose corn syrup. And, oh, I know the big thing he hated was um, if he wanted to watch a PG movie or PG 13 movie. Um, I would watch it with him and then we would sit down afterwards and talk about the movie. And he said, that is the lamest thing ever, mom. <laughs> yeah. So they were, what I'm saying is they were all regular things that yeah. kids um, get mad at their parents about. And I said, but there's nothing here about egg donation. And he said, why, why should there be? He says, parents just need to be upfront. He says, don't wait and tell them when they're adults. And that was when I first started thinking about the fact that when you're an older teenager or an adult and you find out from your parents who you, you have relied upon your whole life to tell you the truth and lead you the way, have lied to you, what a betrayal and a devastation that is. And so yeah. I really was thinking in my head that, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't make it weird, they're not going to make it weird. And that's kind of how I coined that phrase. And that's how I started using that within um, the organization and, and thinking about, you know, we're changing the world one baby at a time. And it's all about transparency and it's all about being open. So yeah. time went on and he turned 11 and he came to me out of the blue and it wasn't dramatic, but he just came out of the blue and he said, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. He says, I've been thinking about our egg donor again. And I said, yeah. And he says, and I'm wondering how she is. He says, do you ever think about how she is? And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, every time I go downtown Portland, I look for your face in the crowd. And mm -hmm. I wonder if she's our egg donor. And he kind of yeah. smiled. And he goes, I think I'd like to meet her. And I said, would you like me to write to the clinic? And he said, yeah. So. Here I am, Miss Pollyanna, down <laughs> at my computer, dear organ reproductive medicine, my child via egg donation, Nicholas. Here's a picture of him. Isn't he beautiful? We really would like to meet our donor. He's old enough now. Anyway, the CEO then wrote back, practice manager said, no. You oh. signed an agreement with us, oh. total anonymity. She signed an agreement with us, total anonymity. And thank you for playing goodbye. Well, John Hessel and I had become friends during this time. Uh, very good friends. Um, I, I just knew he was somebody that had great energy. I became very fond of him. My kid became very fond of him. My kid always referred to him as Dr. Uncle John. And so I thought, you know, if there's any time that I want to ask for a favor. This is it. So I reached out to him and said, Hey, this is what we want to do. And he was very thoughtful about it um, because open egg donation, unless it was between family members or a good friend really still wasn't happening. It still really was not happening. And of course he was worried, I'm sure, and concerned about the psychological welfare of the child and of um, the donor because nobody really was doing it. So we, reach, reach, we reached out to um, Dr. Uh, Britta Dinsmore and asked her opinion. 
And of course, I had many conversations uh, with Carol, burned up the phone lines and email back and forth. And of course, Britta and uh, Carol were both very supportive in, in learning who the donor was and, and letting Nick meet the donor if that's what he wanted to do. So in true Marnie Gatlin fashion, I sent the same letter every quarter. And wow. I just said, how many, how many quarters? Uh, I'm just trying to think. I'm looking, thinking back. I think, I think back to be accurate. I think Nick started asking about 10. So every quarter from he was 10 because he met her when he was 11, um, going on 12. So I don't so what, know. What changed that they, well, we got a new CEO. There was a new CEO. Um, and I actually got to physically meet that CEO, super nice guy, Steve Parker, I believe was his name. Um, Dr. Hessel and I continued to have conversations. Uh, there was another staff member that was very supportive of open um, egg donation back then. Um, and, and talking to Carol and, and talking to Britta. And then finally, Nick said, can I write him a letter? I said, yeah. Sure. So he wrote wrote them a letter, um, very articulate letter for um, 11 years old. And the one thing he said that I think um, made them all sit up and listen was he said, I think it's only fair that I learn about the invisible side of myself. Mm. And so my ending letter was, we're giving our kid permission to meet her she's a grown woman and if she says no then game over no joy we're done and we respect her boundary but if she says yes think of the possibilities think about what we could be doing for many many families all over the globe that would like to have the opportunity to know who their egg donor is and to give their child a sense of not even so much closure, but a sense of openness because not only do they get to complete their circle, they get to learn about a whole different set of genetics and a whole different family because this is family building. So they said, yes, I'll never forget that. I got a call from Dr. Dinsmore. She said, we met, Um, you still wanna do this? I said, yes. She said, okay, I'm going to reach out to your egg donor. If your egg donor says yes, I'll be calling you back with further instructions of what you need to do. And I said, okay. Oh How nervous were you? Terrified. <laughs> You're like, tick, tick, tick. Oh. Terrified. Terrified on two, on two accounts. First account was, what if she says, no, I've got to go back and, you know, tell my son. And he already said to me, hey, you know what? If she says no, she says no, it's her loss. And, um, you know, mom. It, it, it is what it is. And I thank you for helping. But if she says, yes, mom, I really want to meet her. I said, okay. So five minutes later, the phone rang and it was Dr. Dinsmore. It was Britta. Five, five, five minutes. minutes. Oh, five that's minutes. good. That's, nice. Minutes. She that's said, nice. She said, your donor's name is Jennifer. And she's an accountant. And... This is the town she lives in, which is Portland, which was like six miles from us. It's crazy. Nice. And mm-hmm, and um, she'd love to meet you. And here is her email and here is her cell mm-hmm. phone. May I give her your email and may I give you her cell phone? And I said, absolutely. Wow. So I about peed my pants because I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, I believe I cried telling Nick and he said, this is amazing. I said, do you want to email her? And he said, yep. So he sat down and emailed her. I sat down and emailed her. Uh, I remember calling Manny at work and saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he's very zen. He's like, this is good. This is good. How's Nick feeling? How are you feeling? I said, over the moon. Wonderful. So Jennifer and I made a date to meet on a very warm spring day in May. And in the back of my mind, my very last uh, piece to this was to make sure that I could lay eyes on her and spend time in her energy and make sure she wasn't crazy. 
you know? I mean, it's just what we moms do. Yeah. Then that was before meeting, she would meet Nick. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so. of course. Yeah. So I met her at a little French bakery, a coffee house, La Petite down in Portland. And I said to myself, all right, Marna D, you're going there for one hour. You're going to walk in. You're going to buy her a cup of coffee and a pastry. You're going to say, I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for sharing your genetics with me. Our boy is beautiful. Here's a picture of him. Is your life happy? Do you have children? I'm going to hug her, thank her, and I'm going to go on my way. And then we're going to make a time for our family to get together so they can meet. And then everybody's going to go their merry way. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) We took one look at each other. Uh, Both of us got our eyes wet. In person, she is just a pillar of light. She's amazing. Um, We hugged and we hugged and we hugged. And I brought pictures. She was so excited to see pictures. Um, They look so much alike. I I will email you both a picture so you can see (sighs) what I'm talking about. I call them the Bobsy Twins. Uh, When they text me, I have to see who's texting me because their their diction is the same. I mean, they are just so much alike. It's crazy. Anyway, we sat in that French bakery from like one in the afternoon until five or six o'clock at night. It was insane. Wow. Wow. We we cried. We talked and talked and talked. And I said, well, after spending so much time with me, do you really want to, you know, see us again? And she says, absolutely. Absolutely. So I went home with stories of wonder to my family and we all decided she loves sushi just like the boys do. And so we decided to meet in Portland um, at a sushi place downtown the first time we met. And um, that was probably one of the most, I can't even articulate what that experience was like. It was mind-blowing watching um, those two meet for the first time and Manny and I as as spectators. it wasn't Did she dramatic. have children of her own? No, no, okay. um, not at all. Mm-mm. And um, when they met, it's very hard to uh, describe um, what that energy was like, but uh, we're big science fiction Star Trek fans, and there's a, 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 a scene in a movie in Star Trek where one of the characters is with Captain Picard, and he makes time stop. She makes time stop and he gets to see something beautiful and the time is stopped so he could just really envelop and absorb this beautiful experience. And that's what happened for me when I was watching them meet for the first time. If I could have just stopped time, um, it was just great. I mean, they smiled at each other. They talked with each other. They sat by each other. Um, their laughs are the same. Their humor's the same. And, and Manny and I, um, well, I can't really speak for him, um, but for me, in my head, uh, my dialogue was like, shut up, let them talk, don't ask a bunch of questions, you're here to watch, this is their thing, um, just enjoy all of it. And that's what was was going on in my head. And so they did. And so we exchanged a couple texts after that, and we decided that Um, we would like to invite her places with us to see if she'd like to go and if Nick would like it. And that's how it happened. And so that has been 10 years ago. And she is truly an extended part of our family. She's a family member. She's been to birthday parties. She's come out for Christmas. She's come out for Thanksgiving. She has been to his recitals. She went with me to look at a high school that he was interested in attending um, when he was a freshman. Um, She helped support me when my dad and my mom were sick. Uh, And she also sat with me um, in a surgical suite uh, when Nick had some pretty serious surgery um, in 2017. And she sat with me and held my hand 
and listened to the surgeon when he came out to talk to our family about, you know, how they helped him out. And she's just been with us. And, and they, the, the most important thing, they love each other, like very much. Now, with that being said, um, if you ask Nick, do you feel like she's your mom? He will wrinkle his nose like he has smelled something really bad. And he'll say, no, mom, you're my mom. You know, she's like, I don't know, a cousin or a sister. She's a family member. And if I ask Jennifer, and and I'm very open about my questions uh, about dialogue and conversation. And I say to her, you know, do you feel maternalistic towards Nick at all? And she'll just shake her head and wrinkle her nose and say, absolutely not. No, mm -mm. I love him. Very much. I'm proud of him, but I don't, I don't, I don't feel like he's my son. And the two of them have exchanged um, sharp words on occasion. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah. He, he made a remark about her, her salmon colored sweater being an old lady sweater or something. And <laughs> she said, she said an expeltive to him or something. <gasps> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And, and she just kind of looked at me like, sorry. I'm like, Hey, that's between the two of you. And I think uh, we were out for ice cream one time and, you know, she's not married. She's single. And he made a remark about, I don't even remember what it was, but it was something about um, being a cat lady or something. And I remember she looked at him and she said, you know, you can stop talking anytime now. <laughs> so, I mean, they they have these exchanges um, just like a normal family member. And, you know, he's at PSU now and she lives downtown. So, you know, I stopped managing that relationship years ago. I mean, they do their own thing and they get together and have a beer or a dinner or whatever. And um, yeah, that's just their thing. And I just don't feel like a kid can have too many people uh, surrounding him that love him genuinely. I just don't. Mm, okay. yeah. yeah. So that's my story of Nick. Oh, it's a beautiful story. Um, so preview of our new plan. We love you so much. We're thinking this is two podcasts now. So we're planning on breaking this up. <laughs> to have you so, come back yes. if you're okay with that. Sure. Um, I do want to ask a couple uh, additional questions about this yeah. story and then we'll do more on focus. So then we'll go and talk to about PVET in your book. Yeah. And your book. Sure, next one. Sure. Um, so some things that stood out to me in the book that I was um, like surprised or interested about. So one, you mentioned um, your indigenous heritage and you mentioned talking to the tribe about whether Nick would qualify for membership. And I thought that was really fascinating. Do you want to share about that? Sure. Experience? Sure. Um, so tribal relations and membership are based on blood quantum and you have to have so much or a percentage of blood quantum, um, to qualify for benefits or whatever. Um, and all of my indigenous, uh, connection came from my grandmother's side of the family. Uh, it was her dad and her dad's mom, my, my, uh, great, great grandma, Martha. So by the time it's gotten down to me, it's pretty watered out and, um, I'm connected to the tribe, but I don't even have enough, um, blood quantum, uh, to qualify for benefits or my mom did uh, my grandmother did um, and their their family did but when it comes down to our kids you know my sister my brother me we don't but we're still connected uh, with our tribe because that's how we were raised and so when Nick was born um, I talked with the tribe um, was super honest with them about him and egg donation and you know they were very accepting very very accepting and um they basically said you carried him you know it's up to you and at the end of the day um my kid is not indigenous he's not a sovereign citizen he's not indigenous he's not indian he's just not and, you know, he could always go to powwow and dance. He could always, you know, they think he's a, a beautiful kid, but he's just not. He's he's not. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. And so um, I just made that decision um, 
not to push that envelope and have him registered on a roll um, as an indigenous child because he's not indigenous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's the whole Indian Child Welfare Act and all of those complicated things. And there was a whole lot I didn't know uh, back then. And I'm I'm good with the decision I made. He's good with the deci- decision I made because, you know, his attitude is I want to be authentically really who I am. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I am never... I sad sometimes that yeah. I don't see those brown eyes looking back at me? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I think when we grieve our genetic link loss, um, it pops up from time to time. And, you know, he's 22 going to be, or 21 going to be 22, and one day he's going to partner, and one day he's going to have kids. And I'm going to love his children, of course, because they're my grandchildren, but I don't know how I'm going to feel when that pops up um knowing that his children are not going to be genetically related to me. I I probably am not going to care, but, you know, I I just have zero expectations anymore about my feelings. I just go with what happens, you know, at the time, but, you know, genetic link loss is forever. I mean, you think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, another part that stood out to me um, was when you talked to a priest with the Roman Catholic Church and you uh. mentioned how you used to be Roman Catholic. And I'm wondering, maybe we make this a cliffhanger because that, that conversation was pretty shocking to read about. Should we yeah. should we cliffhanger this? We should. Stay tuned. We should, totally. Stay tuned yes. for so part Thank you two for today and now. And we'll be back with Marna because she's incredible. So thank you, Marna. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So after this, stay tuned for part two with Marna. Also so good. Jen, yes. do you want to give our credits? Those I mean, credits. I, I do, is it, is it credits? Do we have formal I credits? Know. I don't, I mean, I think here's the phone I know. number. Well, I was gonna say the phone number. Cause you know, you got a week to wait for the next episode. So really you have to have something to do in that week. So you can go visit right. our Facebook group, give us a call at 303 nine nine seven one nine zero three because we definitely want to hear from people again i'm really really tired of the calls about my car's extended warranty they continue i i i do not kid i get about three a week so um thank you to our team to melissa to tyler to amanda and of course thank you to you and we're excited to have you back to listen to um session two with marna